So when somebody calls you out, how do you feel? Embarrassed? Well, maybe. Because they, maybe they called you out for something bad that you shouldn't have done. But could somebody call you out for a good thing? Call out maybe seems more like a negative thing. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But somebody could call you out to do something positive or for something good you've done. Or maybe we just kind of live in a world where most of the time if somebody calls you out, it's bad. I, I don't know. I guess. That could be. In our lesson today, we have a, a, a section of scripture where we see somebody called out. And when they're called out, it is not necessarily embarrassing, but it is hard. It is challenging. And at the same time, it's beautiful, and that person is being called out to a whole new privilege in front of them, as challenging as it may be. And this lesson gives us an opportunity to, to consider how God calls us out. Calls us out in some challenging ways, but also some beautiful ways, to some incredible privileges. Privileges that have their challenges, but privileges that are totally worth taking hold of. Today we're going to see what God does when he calls you out. The lesson we have is Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 16. It says, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, to get into our lesson, we really need to back up and kind of trace the storyline and start back actually at a well-known event that, is, that we point to as the first documented, documented uh, account of somebody dying for the name of Jesus. So you have this man named Stephen who was, was serving the Lord. God was doing all kinds of incredible things through him, um, which then brought about some conflict with the religious leaders, and they have him outside of the city, and they are throwing stones at him, and they kill Stephen. Well, while this is happening, we are told that the people who were doing it and the witnesses who were there laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as you noted with the background lesson, so remember Saul is that same man who becomes better known as Paul, Saul being the Hebrew name, Paul being a Greek name. And we're told specifically that not only was Saul there watching over the cloaks, the, the, the coats that were there, but he was also giving approval to the death of Stephen. So here there is a man dying because he is carrying out the work of Jesus, and Saul is there approving. The death of Stephen actually basically prompts a big persecution of Christians at that point. Because we're told that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. So there's this big persecution that breaks out. Saul specifically begins to destroy the church. We're told that he went from house to house, and he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. 
Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So the gospel spreads as a result. That's one thing that is always incredibly encouraging and we really need to keep in mind as we live in our world today because sometimes you can see like it seems like there might be a persecution arising here or there. God uses it to spread the gospel. So God is not intimidated when forces come against him. He uses them. But it can be a really still challenging time and we see that for the church here. It's challenging. People are fleeing Jerusalem. They are going to these different places because... Simply for believing in Jesus, Saul is leading this charge of going around to arrest people. Now, as people are fleeing and going to these different places, we're told that Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So not just, hey, I'm going to arrest you, but also thinking about actually threatening their lives. We're told that he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, so anybody who was a Christian, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So as people are fleeing and going to the surrounding cities, Saul says, all right, I'm going to go get them there too. So he gets authority from the high priest to go to the surrounding cities and to arrest Christians and then bring them back. So Saul is setting out to do this, and as he does, we're told that he neared Damascus on his journey. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So here on the path, Jesus, Jesus appears before Saul. Calls Saul out. Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. And then Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting, which by the way, that's another just a little side thing. Whenever Christians are being persecuted, who's actually being persecuted? It's Jesus, right? Because Jesus is in us. Jesus is working through us when they're, they're persecuting. It's not persecuted. It's not about us. It's about the Jesus who we belong to. Now, Jesus told him to get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So Jesus calls out Saul, says, you need to get up and go to the city, but it's going to be challenging for Saul because when Saul got up from the ground and he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, where for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So here Saul is blind. He's in the town of Damascus. He's fasting because he just, well, he encountered Jesus on the road. And it's here as he is blind and fasting that we get to our lesson today where we see when God calls you out. Because when we get into our lesson, we see that after appearing to Saul, there in Damascus, there was another man named Ananias, and God then appeared to Ananias. We're told that the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. So God calls Ananias out. And the Lord tells Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So God calls out to Ananias, Ananias, I need you to go to Judas's house. There's this man named Saul there. He's praying. I need you to go. I want to restore his sight. I'm going to call you out to this task. To which Ananias says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Remember, people scattered from Jerusalem, right? 
which means they left, and the reason they left was because of the threats back there. So when they went to these other towns, they brought news with them. We are in these other towns because there is a man trying to get us back in Jerusalem. So Ananias knew, knew what Saul was doing. Saul had a pretty bad name amongst Christians in the surrounding communities. Not only did Saul knew, know what he had done, likely knew that he had been there when Stephen died and now he was chasing, he was going after other Christians, but Saul, excuse me, Ananias also knew that Saul had come there with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call in your name. So he was there with the authority to do it there too. So Ananias, you can understand why he's like, wait a minute, Lord, wait. Lord, do you know what this guy has done? Like, Lord, do you know, you know what he can do? This guy is scary. Not only because he has done stuff, but he has the, ability, he has the authority to do it here. Like, if I go and talk to him, he can arrest me. He has the delegated authority to do so. This is a dangerous situation from Ananias' perspective. But, you know what? Sometimes when God calls you out, like he does to Ananias, he will call you into a situation that can be potentially dangerous. Since we've been here, we've been involving the homeless in our lives. I leave for work about 10 or 15 minutes early because the Spirit has placed these neighbors in my life. So they're literally on my street, in our parks, uh, on street corners, and I walk by them every day. And so the Spirit has shown me that these are people that you're called to. These people are part of the mission that I have here. When we moved to Montreal, we were very focused on neighbors and meeting our neighbors and loving our neighbors but we found we had these new neighbors that we didn't really know what to do with and they were neighbors that didn't have a home so what were we going to do with these people were we going to ignore them or were we really going to engage them we just started sitting with them listening to them and asking the spirit to show us what to do because we really had no idea and so I started building time into my day where I would consistently walk by these homeless men and women that I see. And yeah, while I couldn't give them monetary resources, I could give them that. And I started hearing their stories and hearing some of their needs and listening to them and seeing areas that we could bless them in the everyday, where we, where we spend time with them and love them and, and encourage them and weep with them because there's a lot in their story to weep over and pray for them, pray for Jesus to uh, to work through us and minister to them in ways that, that we can't without him. And so these great relationships have started being formed, especially with one guy named Noah and three of his friends. Hi, my best friend. At least you're smiling. I like people smiling. You, you live longer with that. You want to split a takeout? Living in Montreal is way different than my life growing up in Indiana. In Indiana, you don't see homeless guys out in the street. So at first it was okay because I would just quickly pass them and wave. But when it started, my kids started interacting with them, I had this 
let go of my guard a lot of wanting to protect them and keep them safe in all aspects. So I had to be okay with my son giving them hugs, being okay touching you know, their dirty hands and giving up even my time on date nights for these guys where I just want my husband all to myself. Even before I leave the house, it's like, all right, Spirit, I need you to help me to be okay stopping. Help me to be okay that my schedules may push aside. Help me be okay for the safety and comfort of me being a mom to my kids, um, to be crushed in a way for what the Spirit wants to do and not what I want to do. I've been praying a lot for Jesus to continue to open my heart for Noah in my house and so close to my kids and even me having to cook more and clean the bathroom more and to be okay with that. And it's been a struggle and in theory I'm okay with it, but the details of it, a dirtier house, more food, company constantly, it's a struggle for my flesh to have to work through. So Spirit's been having to change my heart about it and to be okay with the homeless part of my, my family and not just a different family on the street. Hey, pizza's here. Who's excited for pizza? <laughs> Jesus, thank you for our friend Noah being here. Thank you for this food. Thanks for loving us so much. Pizza. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always comfortable with you guys. I'm comfortable with you. Oh. Love you. Can you be like lock the wind for you? <laughs> you know make me smile. The only reason why I would serve anyone in any way in any form is because I've been served so perfectly by Jesus. If we try and do this out of our own good works, if we try and do this to impress our Father, if we try and do this to impress people around us, I'm going to get really tired of doing that and I'm going to stop doing it. The only way I'm going to keep ministering to people here is by seeing how well I've been served by Jesus. Jesus took them into his family. Jesus has adopted all of us into his family. And because of that, we should adopt everybody into our family as well. And I would like to just invite my friend into my family, but the Spirit's helped me realize that it's, it's everybody. And that would be Noah and the homeless people as well. We'll show a variety of videos at Abiding Shepherd. Some videos are more so just informational about the Bible. Some are really encouraging and uplifting. Some are challenging. This one's more challenging for me. You know, thinking about like, man, I don't know, like, how, if that, if I was in that situation, how comfortable I would be doing that. Like, would there be parts of that feel maybe a little too, I don't know, out of my comfort zone, maybe a little, a little scary. Now, to be clear, not everyone is called to the same ministry. I'm not saying that you should go and just next time you see someone who is on the street corner, should pick them up and bring them home. That's not what I'm telling you to do. This is a, this is a family, and that's something that the Spirit's placed in their heart, and this is what they're doing. But there may be a time where God does call you to minister to someone 
in a situation that can be challenging, maybe a little scary, maybe even a little dangerous. You know, and we think there are, there are missionaries that go into dangerous places, but you don't have to be a missionary to go into a dangerous place. Like, you know, it could be a, a rough neighborhood that needs some lights. Like, it could be a, a someone who you know has got, you know, a bad name for some things they've done, and they, they need someone to speak love to them. I mean, it could be a variety of ways, but God may at times, when he calls us out, he may call us into a kind of scary situation. Now, for some of us, it may not be a physically scary situation. It could be scary in, in a variety of ways. The, the, the fear that we can have can come from a variety of places. And that's actually why we had the, the, the background lessons that we did, or the, the preparatory lessons. That first one from Jonah. Remember Jonah, the reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh was not that he was afraid that they were going to beat him up. Afraid that, oh, I'm going to talk to those guys and they're scary. He was afraid they would actually repent. And then he would have to announce God's forgiveness. There may be someone in your life that you don't want to go and talk to or minister to because you're afraid you will have to forgive them. And that can be scary. Or at least maybe you're like, okay, I've forgiven them in my heart, but to actually say it out loud or to actually spend time with that person that, you know, I, I, I can say, yeah, I forgive them, and it's one thing to have it in my heart, it's another thing to look them in the face and say, I forgive them. Because we can be afraid, like, okay, but what if, you know, whatever, like, what if this past memory comes up, what if this... I still feel hurt about this, and that can be scary. And sometimes God might call you into a situation where he's calling you to minister to somebody who you don't want to forgive. Or it could be like the situation with Jesus when he was at the Pharisee's house. Remember that Pharisee was like, man, if Jesus knew, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know that this woman, that she has a terrible name in town. She is a sinner, and he would not want anything to do with her. We can sometimes, especially, you know, as church people, be afraid that what if I get too close and associated with that person? You know, like it's like the, the stain and guilt of their life could rub off on me or something. Like, like if I start spending time with that person, like what are, what are my family, what are my friends going to think about me? Like if that person were to sit next to me in church, what do my church family think about me? Like we can sometimes get there. We're afraid to minister to somebody who has this bad name in town, or in our family, or in our church. But sometimes, when God calls you out to serve him, he may call you into a situation that you are afraid of. Because somebody has a bad name of potentially being dangerous, or because somebody has a bad name because they've done something wrong, or because somebody has a bad name because, yeah, they are known for being a sinner. But sometimes God will call us into those situations because God has a name for doing something important in those situations. I don't know if you've caught on, but so far I've been using the phrase a name, a name, often in this sermon. And I've been doing it because as I worked through this lesson this last week, I realized, man, names are awfully important to God, especially you see it in this lesson. Let me, let me show you what I mean. So we're told, first of all, that there's a man in Damascus named Ananias. When the Lord calls him out, he calls him out by name. He says, Ananias. He doesn't just jump right in. 
And if you look at other visions of Scripture, God doesn't always, by the way, just say them by their name right away. Sometimes he'll, he'll, he'll begin in other ways. And he, he's, he, called, he says, Ananias. And then later we're told that he says that there is a man, you've got to go to the house of Judas. And, well, I guess there's another name, a Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. God is very clear on naming everybody here. If you go on, we're told, Lord, Ananias answers, I've heard many reports about this man. In other words, I know this guy has a really bad name, his really bad reputation, and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who? Who worship Jesus? All who believe in the gospel? No, all who call on your name. And then I think here's the kicker that really started to tie it all together to me, for me. Because we're told that the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to do what? To carry my name. Before the Gentiles and their kings, before the people of Israel. He could have said, I've chosen him to go and proclaim the good news. I could have chosen him to go and to tell people what Jesus has done. But what he says is I have chosen him to carry my name. There's something just repeated in these set of verses. It's something like he calls Ananias by his name. He makes sure to clarify Saul by name. And he sees a man named Saul. And, and there's something to do with your name. You might have people in your life that have a bad name for something that they've done. You, when you look in the mirror might see yourself as having a bad name because of things that you have done. But where people have a bad name, God's name makes all the difference. For Saul, Jesus says, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name. At this point, yes, Saul has done all that, but you know what? I chose him. And so at this point, now, the only name that matters when it comes to Saul is whose? It's Jesus' name. When God calls you out from your sin, the only name that matters at that point is his. When he calls you out from your sin into the light, when he calls you to be his chosen vessel, the only name that matters is his name. And what is his name? His name is so much more, is so much more than a title. When you look through scripture, I encourage you to, to just make a, make a note of this. If you read, when you read through scripture, notice how often you see mentions, not just of the name Jesus, but like of the phrase, like the name of the Lord. Like Jesus will talk about praying and asking for things in my name. If you read in the Old Testament, look for the phrase, the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord. What you will find is that God will talk about putting his name <clears throat> on the tabernacle. He put his name on his people. God's name is significant. Not God's name is so much more than just a title. What it does is it signifies the presence, the power, and the purpose of God somewhere or upon someone. That's why in the commandments too we think about, about do not take the name of the Lord in vain and literally says do not carry the name of the Lord in vain. I think I mentioned this actually a couple months ago in a message. Breaking that commandment is not so much about just saying, OMG, you shouldn't probably do that. You shouldn't do that. That's still disrespectful. 
But where we really break that commandment is when we take the name Christ and call ourselves Christians, you know, that means that then that we are saying that the power and presence and purpose of God is upon our lives. And then we take and with our lives totally trash the name of Christ. That's the greatest way you take the name of the Lord in vain. Because if you carry the name of the Lord, that means you're saying that the presence and power and purpose of God are in you. By saying that he is his chosen instrument to carry the name. Jesus is saying that the power and the presence and the purpose of God are now upon Saul. When God has chosen you, now his power and his purpose presence are upon you. So what does that mean? That means then that when you look at yourself, your name, your reputation, whatever, that is not what matters. What matters is the name and the reputation of Jesus. And when God the Father looked down at Jesus, when he was baptized on Jesus, what did God say? God said, you are my son whom I love and I am pleased with you. That's now the name that you carry of one who is a child of God, loved by God, who God is pleased with. By being someone who God has called and who has chosen to carry his name, you are now someone who is not defined by your sin. That name doesn't stick on you anymore. You are now defined by the cross of Christ where every single thing you and I have ever done wrong, that justice has been met, it has been paid for, you are redeemed. And it is removed from you. You are someone who is right with God. That's what it means to have the name of God upon you. When you are someone who has been chosen to carry the name of the Lord, you are now someone who has a new life, a resurrection life, because the life of Jesus, where he rose again from the dead, is now your life. You are now right with God. You have resurrection as your future with God. You have a new purpose and identity and name now. To carry the name of Jesus is to have the life and the victory of Jesus upon you. Why does God send us sometimes into situations where people have a bad name? It's because God wants to take people who have a bad name and redefine them by his name. That's what God has done with us. When God calls you out of the darkness, he takes, he takes you, and no longer does the name of all the things you've done wrong matter. The only name that now matters in your life is his. You are his child. You are redeemed by the cross. His new life is yours. And because the only name that really matters now in your life is his name, that's actually then why sometimes he will send you now into, into places where other people may have a bad or challenging name. Notice the last thing that God says about, about Paul here, or Saul here. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer. Here it is, here's the phrase again. For what? For my name. When God calls Saul out of the darkness and says he's going to be a chosen vessel to carry my name, that now means that he's going to send Saul into some challenging situations that have a bad name. And if you think about it, it actually kind of makes sense. Because Paul, he's going to, Saul, he's going to have this, I keep going back, Paul, Saul. 
throughout his ministry, he's going to encounter a lot of challenging things. Not long after this, in Acts, we're told that actually he had to escape the city because people started coming after him. They lowered him down in a basket so he could get out. There's a number of times that he is arrested, he is beaten, all these challenging things he's going to face. Why does he face all that stuff? Well, if you think about it, he carries the name of Jesus, and what happened to Jesus? Jesus was betrayed and beaten and crucified. If we carry the name Jesus, and Jesus was rejected, we can expect that there may be times where we are rejected. If Jesus went into a scary situation, there may be a time that we go into a scary situation. To carry the name Jesus is to be called out from your sin, to have everything he is now on you, which then also means that you have the challenging road ahead of you at times where maybe he's going to call you into a a scary spot that has a bad name. So I want to ask you to consider and to think about and to just have this on your mind. Is there a Saul that God may place in my path that he is calling me to minister to? Not as an official minister, but to show love to, to serve. Is, is there a Nineveh? People who are somebody I don't necessarily want to forgive or sit next to or talk to, but God is calling me to. Is there a woman with a bad name that God wants me to associate with? Is there someone or somewhere with that bad dangerous name in my life that God is calling me into. And as you think about it, and you think, well, okay, there's been some of those, and I haven't followed it very well, or if you're thinking about it and it's scary, here are two things to remember from this lesson. First of all, for every time that we have failed to go into that situation, that we've been too afraid to, or we've just chosen not to, remember, the only name that matters in your life is Jesus's. And so for every time you and I have failed, Jesus has done it perfectly. For every time you and I have fallen short, Jesus never did. And his perfect life is on you. You are forgiven, you are right, you are free. So for every time you failed, remember that. And for every time you have maybe fear in front of you, remember too that because the name of Jesus is upon you, And because Jesus went through that dangerous situation and came out the other side, you can know that whatever God brings you through, he will bring victory to you. There will be a day that you stand with Jesus and all pain and sadness is behind you. He will go with you through whatever's in front of you in life and he will carry you. There will be a day where you stand in victory. So you you can face the fear knowing that he will bring you through it knowing that you are a resurrection person. Knowing that you are, well, you are someone who is part of this. Uh, there's, this uh, there's this worship collective that I really like. A collective is like a gathering of worship artists who come together for certain songs and albums. So they're kind of, into, they're not really like a formal group that sticks together all the time, but they come together at different times. Anyway, there's this one I love called Maverick City Music. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of them. And they also they did an album with a guy named Kirk Franklin. And there's this song I was listening to this week. And uh, it was, I, I just love this, this, this picture. It says, if you want to know what heaven looks like, it's looking like, looking like me and you. In other words, you want a glimpse into heaven? Because you're somebody who's in Christ, look at the mirror and look at your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what heaven's going to look like. Isn't that awesome? 
Heaven's going to look like you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you want to know what heaven sounds like, just let it fill the room, sing, make noise, talk, because it's going to sound like you. Isn't that awesome? I love that. But then here's the thing that really gets me about this song. I was watching, I had it on YouTube, and it re I realized they recorded this album live at Everglades Correctional Institute. Look it up on YouTube. This is a room with a worship band full of prison inmates singing. You want to know what heaven looks like? Looks like me and you. Want to know what heaven sounds like? Just let it fill the room. I just, it just gets me when you see it. And it might even be offensive. I'm not saying this is an easy thing because, like, you look at there, like, in this video, some of those guys in the video are, like, some of the inmates are old, which means they either committed a crime later in life or they did something really bad. Right? This is not easy. This is not an easy thing. But this is the power of the gospel. That it can take no matter how bad your name is and then redefine your life by the name of Jesus. The good news of Jesus, no matter how bad you feel your name is, it's redefined. The only name that matters is Jesus. And when you look at people around you, if God calls them out of darkness, no matter how bad their name is, the only name then that matters is Jesus. That's what happens when God calls you out. 